Dan Aykroyd, I don't think he was that familiar with us, but he came to one of our shows and he was excited. You know, he came backstage, smoked the joint with us. You know, Dan Aykroyd fired up. Here it comes. Here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. One golden era hip-hop group that everyone loves is Digital Underground. Their down-to-earth party energy made them a unique presence on the hip-hop scene inspired by funk bands from the 70s. Their monster hit songs, Same Song, and The Humpty Dance cemented their legend. And the group's legacy includes legendary acts Shock G, Tupac Shakur, and the subject of today's episode, Money B. Money B's road to success was a natural progression of being himself, taking him from his activist roots all the way to the big stage. Money B of Digital Underground was born Ronald Brooks. Way, way back in the year of 1969 in a place called Philadelphia. He was born in the middle of a black uprising in Philly as the Black Panther Party was making their presence known. But so was the opposition, and his father was taking notice. Him and my mom, they had an apartment up the street from one of the headquarters, and he witnessed when the um, police raided the, the headquarters, and they, it was a big deal. They made them all come out. That Panthers were forced to strip in the street before photographers who had been summoned in advance. It sparked something in them. So him and my mom both joined joined the Black Panther Party. And as they became more ingrained in the party's mission... He came out to Oakland, you know, where Huey and, and, and the headquarters was maybe a year or so before. Then he came back and brought me and my mom out. So as a young kid... Three or four years old. They moved across the country and landed in California. Oakland, Berkeley, California. Well, my dad... While he was in the Black Panther Party, he worked at a restaurant bar owned by Huey P. Newton and the Black Panther Party called The Lamp Post, which was kind of like the, the meeting spots or the hangouts, you know, places they would come to bring people to have dinner. It was The Lamp Post. You know, he, he continued and he worked in the service business as a waiter or at Candlestick Park where the 49ers and the Giants played and work the luxury boxes. So when the 49ers would win, they would get tips. He was happy and that would trickle down. So I always, you know, associate 49ers winning with good times. An all new era for the San Francisco 49ers began. Over the next few years, his parents would split up and his father remarried. But his story isn't exactly what you would expect. It's funny, you know, cause you always hear the, the stories of how these rappers had a hard time and living on the streets and this, that, and other. I, I, had two, I had three parents. They all kept the roof over our head and we were taken care of. Yeah. And not only that, we were taken care of by the entire Black Panther Party. So, you know, when they say it takes a village, we were actually raised by the village. And that village mindset extended to the school they attended, which was also run by the Black Panther Party. Many people know of the Panthers because of their run-ins with the police. But there's another side to this organization. We'll go to the Oakland Community Learning Center. Our teachers were actually the ones that were bathing us at night and putting us to bed and helping us get dressed. So it was real, you know, community-based. So we totally trusted these people because they were raising us. And, and we, as far as the kids, we got to know each other 
that intimately because we were living with each other as well. This sense of community was invaluable and provided him with a broad perspective of culture, the world, and identity. It was also a really progressive way to teach children which accelerated his education. This was evident on trips back to Philadelphia to visit his grandmother. Every now and then, my grandmother wouldn't send me back, right? So I remember one year, I had to go to the public school in Philly. So they took me, whatever age I was, you know, they tested me to see where I was. And they put they had to put me two grades ahead of what my age was, because that's what I knew, you know. So I was, anytime I went to a public school, they always had to put me ahead. But no matter how progressive and communal the Black Panther Party-run school was, there were people in the Bay who didn't want them around. The police department. We had lunch break. We would play out in the courtyard. And I remember all the time there would be police helicopters flying over top of the school, probably trying to take pictures or doing whatever. But it was normal to see them just hovering and flying over. And then they would vandalize the school. So that tells you who they were, that they would vandalize and try to destroy something that's trying to do something for kids and the community. You know, they would leave manure in the classrooms and it's fucked up. Amidst the political landscape and the oppression of the time, black people all across the country continued to find refuge in community and in music. My dad always bought the latest records. You know, when, with my mom, she was she was always great at entertaining, having gatherings. So, you know, the party house, you know, people are always over and playing the whispers and whatever, Luther Vandross and the records that were out. So she jamming like that. But my dad, he just was, you know, he was the, the disco king and he had a roommate and their taste in music was wide ranging. So growing up, I heard punk rock, rock, jazz, you know, reggae, everything. And I listened to all of it. So I wasn't just only exposed to a certain style of music, which I think was, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And as the 70s drew to a close, a new sound started to emerge from New York and made its way into the mainstream. Young Money B didn't know it yet, but he was about to be exposed to hip-hop. I do remember vividly being on the school bus one year and we're riding and this song comes on. Yeah. I said, hip, hop, hip, hip, and we were like, what is this? The Bay Area was really listening to K-Pool, which was a, a college or independent radio station out of San Francisco, and they used to play rap on, like, Saturdays and Sundays. You'd hear all of the, you know, the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Like, they, they had the records. And with radio spinning all of the records he couldn't find in the stores, he had to figure out a way to keep the songs. For that, he would use cassette tapes to record the shows. This is how hip-hop made its presence in many homes throughout the nation. This wave hit kids, teenagers, men and women from everywhere. But not everyone was a fan. My mom wasn't impressed by it. My dad supported it. That's what I'm saying. My dad, whatever was hip and popping, so... You know, he had that rocket by Herbie Hancock. He bought Planet Rock. You know, he was jamming to whatever jamming. Like he said, he 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 worked in the restaurants at night. And then afterwards, he'd go to the, to the disco and hang out. So he was 
in the scene like that. And then when I got old enough, I started asking him to buy me records. And at age 14, he decided he wanted to try his hand at becoming a DJ. When he learned that I wanted to do it, he was super supportive. Like he bought me the Realistic Mixer, bought me a gang of tapes to record on. I used to do like the neighborhood house parties for my friends and like both times that I did it, the parties ended in like big fights and shit got fucked up. And This DJ journey wouldn't go much further than these parties, but he was all in on hip hop. One important facet of any hip hop journey is what you're gonna be called. So I used to break dance and boogaloo. And my first name that I remember having was uh, Egyptian Kid. So, you know, I used to do tuts and all that stuff. And on one trip back to Philadelphia with his cousin, he figured he'd try out a new name. Because, you know, in Philly, there's a lot of cash money, money this, money T, money. That's my cousin, should I be Money B or Egyptian Kid? And he was like, Money B. Money B is born, and the unlikely path he's on is about to lead straight to the hip-hop history books. His journey is about to take him from the Black Panthers to Billboard. When we come back, Money B becomes a rapper and creates traction with some great friends and then eventually with Shock G as a part of Digital Underground. Stay tuned. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Money B was a Philadelphia-born, Oakland-raised kid with a lot of potential. While he was still in high school, he decided, with the support of his parents, to try to become a DJ and a breakdancer, but that only went so far. Luckily, though, he was intrigued by the idea of rhyming. My first rap that I let people hear, I rapped over... Uh, Jam Master J by Run DMC. It was the B-side of Hard Times. And I made the rap because it was this kid at school that was like, he was like a bully, always talking about people. And, you know, he was loud and, ah, your shoes and that. And have everybody laughing, right? So he just was 
getting a ragging on me one one day, and you know, and I probably didn't even have the the I didn't have the jokes or the wit about it. So I came home and I wrote a rap about him, and then I recorded it. I took it to school and played it, and it was like. He got you. And then people started asking me for copies of it. And that's when it started. Initially, he's like, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then so I had to avoid him for a few days. But this started something. He knew that he could rap, and there was a certain Bay Area legend who had been laying the foundation for kids who wanted to make rap tapes. Too short. Even in 80, 82, 83, there was these tapes floating around. And in the Bay of this guy, Too Short and Freddie B. Well, I'm too short, baby, hear what I say. I never do work, but I always play. People were eating it up. Too Short's tapes were all the rage because he was a popular local MC and he was mentioning people you might know. And the lyrics were raunchy, to put it mildly. But that didn't stop Too Short from eventually getting a single pressed up and distributed in stores. When he had the record, I was like, oh shit. I was like, because I always thought you had to be from. New York or L.A. or somewhere else to make a record. When Short made a record, it made me believe, like, okay, you don't have to be from these places. Like, you can really get a record made somewhere else. Afterwards, around that time, you know, I hooked up with uh, Mac Moan, and we started making tapes together. And because he was more in the streets than I was, you know, we would make the tapes, and now he would get dope dealers to play them in their cars, and then, now they were buying tapes from us. Kind of got the buzz going on in the neighborhood. And one night, he and some friends head out to a party where he can showcase some of his lyrics. My cousin lived in West Oakland, and he was like, oh, we're going to this party, such and such invited us. Mind you, we're not from, from this project, but we knew a couple people. We go on the party, and they're like, Brian, go ahead upstairs and, and, and rap. And so we had to go upstairs, and I'm rhyming and somebody got upset about something and my cousin ends up punching he started the fight he punched the dude he fall down the steps and all of a sudden it's commotion but but now we're in the middle of these projects and now we have to get out of there right so we i remember us leaving and they shooting at us and we like ducking and when we finally get out and get back to where where, where we stayed it was just like, the next day, it was like nothing even happened. <laughs> just like, whatever. Me and Mac Moan, we were making tapes. And like I said, Moan was in the streets. So he, he went to jail. I think he had to go away for like nine or 10 months. When he was at jail, I was still kind of trying to keep, you know, keep rapping and, and making tapes at home. But um, there was a guy, CJ Flash, who I went to school with at Berkeley High. I don't know if he had heard the rap of me talking about the guy, but he knew that I was rapping and he had a four track and a drum machine and he was like man you know you want to come rap over one of my beats or I go to his house and I record these two songs he's like you know what you should let my man Dave do some scratches on it Dave walks in and I, we knew each other just in passing or just being on the scene and, and he was white so he didn't see a lot of white people around at that time and when he walked in, he was like, oh, I know you. What's up? And he, he was DJ Goldfinger at the time. And he played the um, scratches on the song. When, it, when they were done, it was like, we should do more of this. And 
that's how it started. To the beat, to the beat, y'all. Old school chants, the party people used to dance to what we call summertime in Philly. My age about a dozen, got excited, went invited to lots of parties with my cousins. Taping every rap jam, the slams on the radio. School time came on the plane back to the O. Grandmaster Flash, Fooly G, and the Trash 3. Fearless for a spirit of hip, I was etched in the seat. So then you fast forward, Moan gets out of jail, and he comes back. And so now we're a group, MGM, which stands for Mac Moan, Goldfinger, and Money B. His choice to become a rapper was something that he had put time and energy into. And as high school was coming to a close, things didn't show any signs of stopping. This posed a slight challenge for the expectations of his parents. Now, the hiccup was, when we talk about parents, when I graduated from high school, I think I had an opportunity to go to, like, DeVry or one of those technical vocational schools or whatever, but it was in L.A. I was like, if I do that, then me and Fuse are not going to work together, and that probably is going to go away. So I decided not to, and my mom wasn't happy about that. So that's probably one of the times where we kind of bumped heads. You know, my dad, he didn't give a fuck. He was just like... Is that what you want to do? Go ahead. My mom was thinking more of, this is your opportunity to have a career and you're about to blow it, you know, because that wasn't promised. But the thing about passion is that you don't need it to be promised. And Money B had enough reason to believe he could do it. Enough people had told me that I was good enough. It got to a point where I assumed that eventually I was going to make a record. I didn't know when or how, but I knew that it wasn't because I wasn't good enough. I was just gonna keep doing it and something's gonna happen. After I graduated, summer of 88, went full swing. Now we're selling mixtapes. You know, Fuse DJing, I'm rhyming. You know, the same way that Trey and NWA were doing it in LA, we were doing that. You know, now it's the MGM mixtapes that we're pushing out. Going up to college radio, trying to get interviewed, get our demo played on the radio, doing, finding out where any talent show is. So now we're active on the Bay Area hip hop scene. I write rhymes, relay them to tape, and then I put it out. They get it, I choose to wear. It's kind of loose. I feel good about myself. Sure, but what for your back? When I was busting it, you play me like Genesis. What's this? You're rushing it? I'm crushing it. Dreams, schemes, all affected. Just forget about getting my funds, you dumb dumb. I hate a pimp. I've never been a trick, but I kick it like a butter and hunt you down and climb you there, that, cause I don't want you. And as they made their way around the scene in the Bay Area, they eventually came across a group that would change their lives. We're all trying to get discovered and trying to get hurt and, and anywhere that we can. And there's also this group that has a 12-inch out called Digital Underground. Saw a fresh mermaid, treated her to caviar, wine over shrimp brain. In the raw, on the ocean floor, need I say more? You never heard nobody kick it like this before. It was dope. I actually had the record. I liked it. It's Shock G and it's Shotmaster J. Um, come to find out, they needed... A DJ. And... and DJ Goldfinger, who was about to change his name to DJ Fuse, was in line for the job. They set up a meeting over at DJ Fuse and Money B's house. Fuse was like, yeah, you know, I could DJ for you guys, whatever, but me and mine are a group. So if he can be involved, I'll do it. So that's how we got started doing it. And just like that, Money B and DJ Fuse are a part of Digital Underground. But being a part of Digital Underground didn't mean that they had forgotten about their other group, MGM. And we're doing talent shows and making demos. And up till 88, 
And we, you know, we got a manager, Sleuth, who later became the road manager for Digital Underground. You know, he was like, look, if we get this deal or whatever, we may have some issues being called MGM. So they set out to create a new name. You know, you have jazz fusion, all these different elements. Well, hip-hop is just that. It's it's all of these elements. It was kind of like our interpretation of what the hip-hop was. It was a raw, raw fusion. MGM was now raw fusion. Raw fusion was always going to be a priority to us. But that's all of the groups or artists that came in. You know, Digital Underground was more like a like a, a huge production army. Shop had these ideas and these visions of things that he wanted to do and get accomplished, and he sought after compliments to that. And Shock G's idea was to get Digital Underground off the ground and then get everybody involved their own deals. The whole time that we're making sex packets and everything, these records are the Raw Fusions, the Tupacs, the Gold Monies are all being shopped for our own deals. So when we got in Digital Underground, Digital Underground already had a record out. So that had been accomplished. And I think it had, you know, from what I understand, you know, the, the place that it was the biggest was like in Denmark. And somehow we were able to secure a single deal with Tommy Boy Records. And we recorded Do What You Like. Now as the record spins around, you recognize this sound, well it's the underground. You know that we're down with what you like. With what you like. And though we're usually on the serious tip, check it out. Tonight we're gonna flip and trip and let it all hang out tonight. We're gonna say what we like. Do What You Like was released as a single on Tommy Boy. And the condition of the deal was, if the single went well, they would record an album. Well, the single went well. We didn't realize that Do What You Like was huge in Europe. It was big. It was like one of the biggest records out there. So our first tour experience was Europe for two months. 89, beginning of 90. Digital Underground was about to break through. They were already getting big in Europe, and with an album ready to go, they were about to make a big splash in the States as well. When we come back, Digital Underground treks through Europe. They release an album, and Money B and Tupac get around. Stay right there. We'll be back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Money B and his partners DJ Fuse and Mac Moan have become a group called MGM, a name that switched to Raw Fusion. Then, with their names beginning to buzz around Oakland, they got connected with Digital Underground, who already had a record and promised future success. They put out a single that went so well that Tommy Boy Records offered them to get started on Digital Underground's album, Sex Packets. But before they could get well off into the process of releasing their record, they had to go overseas. That single, Do What You Like, was going wild, and they had to build on their newfound fame. So we had to go out to Europe and play all these pubs and bars and do like a 45-minute to hour set with one song that they knew. But the funny thing about it was we didn't have anybody to tell us how to do it. So when we go to Europe, we travel with like 15 to 17 flight cases because we took all of the equipment that we used to record the records and just redid them on stage. Mind you, this is in the winter in Europe. So we're carrying these 15 flight cases all over Europe on fucking icebreakers and taxis and waiting out in front of clubs at three in the morning and 15 feet of snow. Nonetheless, they went to Europe and killed it and their album was done. They turned it into the label and they're sure that they've got hits ready to go, but... Um, there was a song called Underground Systems that we sampled Kraftwerk and we couldn't get it clear. So the label gave them the bad news. We need you guys to record a couple more songs. They went back and recorded those last two songs and they ended up being... Freaks of Industry. With the Freaks of the Industry. And Humpty Dance. So if you're a digital underground fan at all, or if you're just vaguely familiar with golden era hip-hop, you know how big the Humpty Dance ended up becoming. Freaks of the Industry was just as big in the underground. And it's crazy to think that these two songs just barely made the cut. So we recorded um, Freaks of the Industry. Originally, we used the um, Diana Ross Love Hangover sample because we had that beat. It was slowed down. Well, we're the Freaks of the Industry. My man, Money B. Yeah, my mellow shot, G. They couldn't get this sample cleared, so they had to do something different. I think we had to f- leave for Europe like the next day or, or two days from then. And this was our last session, so we're driving around San Francisco because we were recording at High Street Studios, trying to figure out where to find this record because Shock was like, I got an idea. And we're going from record store to record store. And like the last record store we hit was like 5 p.m. and record stores were about to close and we found the, the, the Donna Summers Love to Love You. Pulled it, sped back to the studio and we made that record. We literally recorded it and left. Well, they say that birds do it, bees do it. Do it. Time to freak money, beat gets to it. Not a heavyweight, but I go 12 rounds with a jab and a stick. I'm going lick for lick, so. You know, when you are recording your first record, before you put it out, you think it's a good record, right? All of those records I liked, but you never know, except for... Humpty Dance. All right, stop what you're doing, cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny, but yo, I'm making money, see? So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round. When I heard that record, even the four-track version of it, I knew that was a hit. 
It was undeniable from the very first time I heard it. And they were right. The Humpty Dance was released in January of 1990, just ahead of the album, and... It's a hit. You know, the Humpty Dance is what we thought it was. And of course, with a hit this big, they were everywhere on TV, from MTV to the Arsenio Hall Show. This was great as they released their album Sex Packets in March of 1990. And the success of Do What You Like and the Humpty Dance set it up to hit the Billboard charts. But also people like Freaks in Industry, Do what, you know, they like all these other songs. And it's, it starts to become evident that this is, this is a good album, not just to us, but to the world. But making that record, we were being ourselves. With one-of-a-kind music, and their album was pretty much a concept album with Shock G assuming the moniker of Humpty, Digital Underground was on fire. And in the process of them being themselves, they ended up on the soundtrack for a horror comedy called Nothing But Trouble. The song was called Same Song, and it featured a young Tupac Shakur. Tupac, go ahead and rock Now this. I clown around when I hang around with the underground. Girls used to frown, say I'm down when I come around. We were able to be on and in that movie through Tommy Boy Records. From what I understand, they wanted De La Soul to do it, but they were busy. You know, it was like, hey, well, we got digital. And Dan Aykroyd, I don't think he was that familiar with us, but he came to one of our shows. And we, you know, if you ever see a digital show, we just animated, we had all of the, everything on stage and Humpty Hump and all of this. And he was excited. You know, he came backstage, smoked the joint with us. Um, but one thing that, he did tell Shop was that the character in the movie had a B3 organ. So that's why that B3 is in the same song. Now let's talk about Tupac. Tupac was a part of the crew. He was a part of Digital Underground, appearing on Same Song and on Raw Fusion's album. One, not two. Hey, you don't stop. Me and Tupac coming true. Hey, you don't stop. Gotta be number one. Now, when most people look back at Tupac's involvement with Digital Underground, they often think he was just a dancer. Pac was never, quote-unquote, a dancer. He danced because that's what he had to do, being on the road with us. You know, he probably, with Strictly Dope, his group, you know, I'm sure everybody had routines and things that they, they did. But as we now know, Tupac was more than just a dancer and more than just a rapper. And when he eventually made his way into acting, he got an assist from Money B. An agency sent over a script for a movie called Juice. We got the script, and it was like, hey, you know, I think Money B would be good to read for this, this character. But I had no acting experience, but I knew Pac did. And I asked Pac to help me prepare for it. And But then as we're reading it, I'm like, wait a minute. This dude, this Bishop, this is Tupac, right? So we kind of started thinking maybe Pac could read for it as well. You know, I suggested it. Agent thought it was a good idea, so it worked out. You know, he came out the, the audition and he was like, I think they like me. And I was like, bro, you got it. Juice would be the start of Tupac's movie career. And while Tupac's music career was on the rise, he still reached out to Digital Underground for a feature on a single called I get around. Still clown when the underground when we come around. I just remember that I was late. I forgot we were supposed to record it. And uh I was riding with my friend George and he was like, bro, ain't you supposed to be in the studio? 
I was like, oh, yeah. I remember now Tupac wasn't there because he'd already moved to L.A. So he sent the tapes up. And I just remember Shock G producing my vocals, which a lot of producers don't do. When I, The way I wrote mine, it was a little more grittier. And Shock was like, he's up. You feel me? Or just like... Inflection here. What's up, love? How you doing? Right. Well, I've been hanging, singing, trying to do my thing. Oh, you heard that I was banging. Your home girl you went to school with. That's cool, but did she tell you about her sister and your cousin thought I wasn't? Uh. Digital Underground made a mark. And without question, a lot of the credit for the success goes to Money B and Shock G. His decisions weren't dictated on how much money something was going to give him. It was, it was about the art. And it took me to, till I became a real adult to understand what that was. So we kind of held each other down. And once we realized that this is our true balance, then it was, you know, we accepted it. Digital Underground would go on to record several more albums and they would go down as tastemakers and trailblazers. There was nobody to tell us how to do it, right? As opposed to, you know, in New York, it's the New York flavor is the style, you know, get on stage, grab your dick. That's not what we were, but we didn't have anybody to school us on how we should do that. So the only thing that we could do was kind of just be ourselves. And not only would being themselves pay off, he would also get to return the investment of time and support that came from his father. My dad was supportive and he was at everything. So all through the talent shows and even when we got with digital, all of the, you know, the local shows that we did, my dad was always there. And at the height of his success, he got to give his dad a gift. Humpty Dance was double platinum. The, the album was platinum. And we all got uh, our platinum plaques. We did a show at the Townsend Club in San Francisco, which is the same club that we did the video to the Humpty Dance. And we had a show. Um, and I didn't even know this was going to happen, but Shot brings my dad on stage and gave him his own plaque with his name on it. So my dad has a Humpty Dan sex packets platinum plaque. From his earliest days in Philadelphia to being with the Black Panthers in Oakland, all the way to touring the world and creating classic records with legends, Money B's road to success was fueled by his will to stick to his convictions, be his own man, and always believe in his dreams. The legendary Shock G unfortunately passed away merely days before our interview with Money B. But his memory lives on in the minds of hip-hop fans all around the world. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made even more great by the amazing DJ Cheapshot. Chris Barnett is Black Batman. Music by The Math Club. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Fresh Era Podcast. And make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to the show. Find merchandise and updates about what we're doing at stupid-fly.com. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.